Hello, beautiful soul family, and welcome to the Walk On Podcast, the podcast where I try to demystify spirituality, personal growth and healing, and whatever else I feel like talking about. I'm your host, Britt Cannon, and this week's episode is called Dun 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 The Victim Complex. <laughs> now, this is a tricky um topic it talking about it makes people very upset obviously um and I'll explain why I think that is as we go but basically I'm seeing a lot of perpetrators of harm shift the narrative and make themselves a victim and this empowers them to continue perpetuating harm meanwhile the people who are speaking out about the harm being perpetuated on them are then kind of characterized as the actual villain of the story so it's this you know narcissistic reframing or gaslighting um, of what's actually happening and turning it around on the person that's being hurt and I think that people in positions of privilege you know like white people do this to people of color all the time in saying things like I can't believe you're playing the race card or like or thinking that being called a racist is worse than actually being racist <laughs> and like doing racist things and holding racist beliefs. But like, God forbid they be called out on that. Then suddenly you're the bad guy. And I have so many stories from my own personal life to share about this. Um, and also some stories happening in the media right now. And so I hope that you'll keep an open mind. I hope that you will bear with me as I like tread lightly through this topic. I know that it's like a hot button issue. I know that people have big open wounds around this kind of rhetoric, as do I. And I know, just trust me, you know, just stick with me and trust me. My my intentions are good. I would love to shed some light on this because I think that it can be really confusing when someone who is hurting you is acting like the victim. Um, and that's this is who I'm speaking to. I'm speaking to people who have been gaslit, who have been abused, who have been mistreated, who are marginalized, um, and who are being told that by speaking up, by speaking their truths, by owning what happened to them and and framing it correctly, right? Because like part of the mindfuck of abuse or of marginalization, which is just systemic abuse, is that you don't want to believe it. Like it takes so much work to even admit what's happening because we're so taught to have a stiff upper, upper <laughs> stiff upper, stiff upper lip and just carry on and be stronger than it and and not admit we're hurting and not feel our pain like it's just capitalism itself and the white supremacist capitalist hetero, cis hetero patriarchy itself lord have mercy my mouth y'all it's merch merch <laughs> i'm leaving this in it's mercury retrograde and a bitch is struggling okay <laughs> Um, it's right on my Gemini placement too. So like, fuck me. Okay. <laughs> but um, I can't even remember where I was going with it because my mouth is a train wreck. But, you know, this is always who I'm speaking to. Like, I want this podcast to he help heal and empower people simply by recontextualizing situations that have been flippity doodad in the most upsetting and like unfair and unjust and just not true ways. Um, so before we get into it, y'all, I am working so hard. We're talking full, 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 full time on this podcast, on growing this podcast, on growing my brand. I want to be like self-employed. I am self-employed, like on a spiritual level. <laughs> But I am not yet self-employed on a financial level. And this podcast is such a labor of love. My album that I'm working on is such a labor of love. Like the books I'm writing are such labors of love. My website itself, my social media platforms, like I am just, 
fully on mission, right? Like I am living my purpose and my dreams and like the universe is very proud of me, but the abundance is not flowing in. (laughs) And I would love to see some growth. So if you hear this podcast and it resonates with you and you're like, hell yeah, I love what you're saying. Give it a share share the link, donate if you can through the anchor page. I'm going to set up a Patreon, but if my, if I'm not growing in numbers, I'm not going to do it yet because it's just a lot, a lot more work and my plate is very full. So, um, just this, these little things, you know, when I post a quote on my Instagram, walk on underscore pod, share it in your stories, tell people about the show. Um, I would love to see some growth because I'm working really hard at it. (laughs) And that is the last I'll say about it. Also, if you do Apple podcasts, like don't forget to rate and review, leave me a little comment, shoot me a DM and be like, be like, I see you. I love what you're doing. Like every teeny tiny little bit helps when you are screaming into the void. And if you have something that you would like to share with me that you would like me to shout out, I will absolutely do it. We can scratch each other's backs. Um, let me know. Let's start a conversation. I'd also like to open this up to an interview session, maybe like once a month or something. And so if you're into that, if you'd like to be interviewed, if you feel like you have something to say, hit me up. Let's do a scheduling thing and get this ball rolling. Thank you so much for being here and listening. Sorry for the brief tangent or not so brief tangent. So here, okay, let me start with a personal story time that I have talked about on this show before, but it is the perfect example of what I'm talking about. And hopefully me sharing this story with you will help you see this happening in your life a little bit more clearly and like release some of the confusion and some of the guilt and some of the shame. So after I cut off my family of origin, um, through like, I mean, they would never take any responsibility because they're all a little bit self-centered and can't really access their empathy because of various issues. But I tried really hard to make it work. Um, I only walked away and thus was born the concept of this podcast. I only walked away because it was hurting me so bad. I think that like, I have a little bit of a reputation for being like a hard ass and like, and, and not sticking it out. And like, people think I'm not loyal anymore, or it scares people who are trying to be close to me that I am so willing to walk away. But I feel like that's just because people aren't used to understanding that they have the power to leave. Um, and also it makes people kind of step up their behavior because it's like, if you think this is what abusers like really, count on is like if if I if I am an abuser and I'm looking at someone and I'm like no matter how I treat this person they are never gonna leave that is it's not the victim's fault at all but if they see someone who's willing to walk away they won't even invest you know what I mean you don't even have to worry about how you're gonna deal with them if they come around like they'll see you and be scared of you and won't even mess with you because they know it won't be worth their time so being empowered to walk away is really like a cloak of protection and but you know (laughs) it also is a testament to your boundaries you know like this is what I will and won't put up with this is how I will be treated and it's not high maintenance it's not in the sense of like I want to be a princess and roll out the red carpet to me. It's just, I need honesty. I need respect. I need reciprocation and I need communication. That's it. (laughs) I will love you so good if you give me those things and I will never walk away. The only time I walk away is if I'm being lied to or if I'm being abused. Point blank. So I leave my family of origin and I'm still trying to like maintain a relationship with a couple family members that I'm really close to. One of which is my cousin who's like, like maybe 10 months older than me. Like we grew up very close in age 
And one day he's in New York and he calls me and he's like, hey, I would love to see you. And I'm like, fuck, yeah, I haven't seen you in so long. Like, I'm so excited. And then he's like, by the way, my mom's with me. And I was like, oh, shit, never mind. And he flips out on me and is just like, I don't know what she did to you, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, it's not exactly what she did to me, although I do have a list. (laughs) But it's that they are all so flying monkey type people for the people in the family that I can, that are not safe for me to be around. You guys are all one blob of a family unit. Like, I can't really interact. I can't trust any of you to keep me safe and to like separate me from the family. You know, like it's either you're all in with everyone or you have to stay out. But I did think that this cousin, because he's always been sort of like an older brother figure, he's always taken really good care of me. We have a very sweet and close relationship. I can sit and talk with him for like hours and hours and hours. Like we've remained close throughout our lives, even though for much of it, he was much, much cooler than me. And I was just like his nerdy cousin. You know what I mean? Um, I thought that there was like a mutual respect there. And we also spent a lot of time talking about our trauma and like what we've been through as kids. So I sort of was like assuming he was hip to like why I would want to leave. But he jumps right to you can't just going around playing the victim all the time. And I was like slap in the face. Oh, my God. And I start flipping out and I was like, I'm not playing the victim. Like I was victimized. I was abused. These people hurt me. Here's all the reasons why I tried to have a conversation with them about it. And they refused. They just straight up refused. They can't admit that they were hurt. They can't admit that they hurt me. And that's why I can't be around any of them. And they also are fucking snitches. So I can't trust your mom to keep me safe. And that's all I said. And he just was like, you know, he said, I was, he said something. He was like, you're making the wrong choice because my grandma's sick. And like anyone out there who, maybe you'll think I'm a bad person, but anyone out there who has had a a parent, an estranged parent or parent figure be sick after you cut off contact. Like it's really hard. There's a lot of grief there, but I can't, again, they're all one blob of a family. If I were to go back to like see her at the end of her life, I would be back in with all of them. And I just can't do it. It's that bad. And that makes a lot of grief for me. I would love to take care of her. Everyone expected me to be the only one that took care of her at the end of her life. You know, I was like trained for this from the moment I was born and to not be doing that is hard for me you know and I know I'm hurting her and that's really hard too but I just can't like I just it's like it's I just can't it's just not safe and he he was like what did he say he was like how much oh oh he was like I do not, like, I don't agree with your choice. And I was like, you don't have to agree with my choice. You just have to support it. And he was like, how much therapy are you in? And I hung up the phone and I haven't spoken to him since. Which again, that causes me grief. Like, let's put the blame where it belongs. Because he can't admit that he was abused, that he's been victimized. He cannot handle my truth, admitting that I have. He thinks that I'm playing the victim. But really, his mom and our whole aunts and uncles and grandma and great grandma like they're the victimizers they were victims in their own life and because they never admitted it now that I'm admitting it suddenly they're the victim like they are hurt by me admitting my truth and if someone's truth hurts you like you have to take a step back and be like am I causing harm (laughs) you know what's triggering me about this person's truth because really we should all be able to share our truths without personally offending each other that's not to say like a stand-up comedian getting on stage and being transphobic is not sharing his truth right that's sharing like a a weird personal vendetta he has against trans people but like someone getting on stage and being vulnerable and I don't even I'm like losing the plot a little bit on this example but (laughs) Like if he, when Dave Chappelle was, was critiquing racist white people, that was his truth, right? That's his experience. He's not punching down at people who are marginalized 
like further oppressing someone else. He's not pushing somebody else's head underwater so that he can get a gasp of air. Instead, he's punching up, like he's empowering his community. He's like being a champion of like representation and like is punk as fuck. But then somehow he like, maybe because he's old and once you get old, you kind of like lose your brain cells or whatever. (laughs) All of a sudden he's on this tirade against trans people. And then when he's called out for it, when people are like, this hurts me, like you're, you're perpetuating, uh, ideas that can cause me physical harm. Like the kind of shit that Dave Chappelle is spewing empowers people to hurt and kill trans people and the homophobia rooted in men against trans women is like tied up in that transphobia like it's this weird um crossover of phobias that results in literal murders and you know there's this defense i heard about this recently there's this defense that's been happening since like the 50s or maybe even before i can't exactly remember the legal stuff so forgive me for not being like <laughs> fully specific but um there is this like a legal defense that helps people get off for murder, for doing a hate crime, which was like homophobia. Like if a, if a bunch of straight guys beat up and murdered a gay man, they could say he hit on me and that would justify the murder. Like that is a thing that has existed as a precedent in our country. And that does leak over into the trans community. I mean, how many like Hollywood movies, Oscar winning movies have we seen about like a trans person getting murdered by someone being scared of their own, you know, like toxic mass, not scared of their own toxic masculinity, but scared of their toxic masculinity being challenged in any way in any way because like if you are so like ingratiated into the gender binary and someone is shattering that you know if someone is living outside of that you take it as a personal threat to you this is what i'm saying someone living their gender identity truth should not offend someone else and if it does it would behoove the person and society at large for that person to be like hmm why does this hurt me so bad? Why is this offending me? Why am I so angry at someone else living their truth? Is it because I'm not living mine? Is it because I have like really allowed myself to be brainwashed by a false like truth of gender? Like I'm, (laughs) you know, I'm not allowed to feel my feelings or like be a human. I can't hug my children because I'm a man. And when you break out of the gender binary that hurts me so bad, um, it makes me upset which is exactly what happened with my cousin, right? Like he was, he's hurting so bad. Like his life is in shambles. He's hurting so bad. And because I had the audacity to break away, to say no, to stand up for myself, to feel my pain, to feel my trauma, to live as a wounded person out loud and to take care of myself, it made him mad. I think there is an underlying jealousy. And I know sometimes people don't like that framing of isms you know of like bigotry where there's a jealousy present but I think it's it is true like I think that if not jealousy like uh uh, it is a kind of envy you know what I mean like a freedom from I don't know there's just a depth of character or like an authenticity that is deeper when you have to live like in spite of you know what I mean like there's a strength there's a beauty there's a yeah just like a an authenticity that's rooted in something stronger because you have to do it in the face of violence in the face of threat and while being constantly oppressed and like how dare you rise above when I am so very mediocre and I think that that's where this um this victim complex thing really exists. I think that when someone is, has actually been victimized and they're talking about their trauma, that is so brave. Like the your average fucking person who hasn't ever thought about or questioned or 
pushed up against anything, any harm, like has never spoken up or like even considered that things could be different. Your average, that person, your average, like in they live, you know, the person who's just like walking around, um, and can't see the consume and obey, (laughs) uh, your sheeple, if you will. (laughs) Um, they really are uncomfortable by people speaking up about what's happened to them. But those of us who do that, who who can muster the strength to be authentic, who can face our fears, like the sheeple have nothing to fear in the sense that, except, you know, this is like in elementary school when like you're not cool, but you're not like bullied. You're kind of like somewhere in the middle. But you will bully the kid below you to keep yourself safe. Because you're like, if I befriend that person, I'm going to be a target too. So to keep myself safe, even though the cool kids are fucking scary and I kind of hate them and, you know, I'm, I ter- I'm terrified of them every second of my life, um, I'm going to join their team so that I don't become that kid, even though there's strength in numbers. And if you joined up with that kid, you might get bullied, but you're not going to feel guilty about that for the rest of your life. And... <laughs> And that kid's probably a lot more fun than those cool kids who are already sheeple at the ripe age of 10. But to own your truth, to tell your story, to be vulnerable, to feel your feelings, to express your pain, to like try to lay your boundaries, to have been bullied and face the horrifying um, possibility of being bullied again. You know, like, I think one reason why we're so afraid of authenticity is because we are living in this state of like, well, first of all, if your authenticity was suppressed or rejected in childhood, you live your life in in the illusion or the belief system that if I try to be authentic ever again, I'm going to get rejected. And it hurt so bad the first time, I definitely don't want to feel that again. And so we build these personas, we put on these masks, we move through the world as a false version of ourselves, as like a turned down version of ourselves. That is, this is where people pleasing comes in. This is where like, um, you know, these like my toxic family, there is so much abuse and substance issues and generational trauma and just like conflict that's never dealt with. And they just sweep it under the rug. Like there is so much and it's so glaringly obvious that it's just a miserable group of people who just like, like I, anyone looking at it could be like, wow, that's a dysfunctional ass family. And even there, that's a joke that they used to tell all throughout my childhood about how fucking dysfunctional they were. And yet (laughs) I speak on it from a place of like a vulnerability and it's a crime, you know? Um, it's the bravest thing anyone can do is to own their story, to tell their story, to speak their truth, to cultivate their boundaries, to be authentic. Oh, this, I kind of got distracted a little bit. So we're afraid of being authentic because we are afraid of being rejected because if you're pretending and you fit in, I mean, it's like a double-edged sword because if you're pretending and you fit in, you know and you fear that if anyone knew the real you, they would reject you. So you never experience true connection, which is what we all crave. That's what we were missing in our childhoods. You don't ever feel truly loved or truly seen all the way through because you're not presenting your full self. But if you present your full self, you might not even get in the group in the first place. And also you think if it hurts to be rejected when I'm pretending, at least that's not as painful because I know it's not the full me being rejected. And if the full me were to be rejected, boy, howdy, would that hurt? Now, when you are being your authentic self, you attract other authentic people and you attract people who can handle and love the full you. And you're not doing so much work to like maintain this false image or overgiving or keeping the peace or like whatever, or not laying boundaries, like whatever it is to whatever your, your particular persona and like 
coping style might be, however that plays out. Like maybe you're a high conflict person and you, you keep people at arm's length by being really tough and like pushing people away and really challenging them and putting them through tests. You know, there's all kinds of ways that we do this and it manifests. It's like depending on your trauma, depending on your personality. I would also posit that it depends on your astrological sign and chart, but um, we all do this in one way or another. And if you were just to like put it down, you would attract people who, and you would be attracted to people who were actually on your wavelength instead of trying to like force it and make it work with people who aren't really compatible to you and who don't really see you and who don't really love you all the way through. And that's what we crave. It would fix so much if we could just be loved and accepted for who we are. If we could just show up fully. I mean, I, I try to do this like in, I have for years and I will show up in the early days of a friendship or a relationship and be like, hello, I am autistic. I have trauma. Here's some of my issues, like not in a trauma dumping kind of way, but in a way that's just like, these are the things I struggle with. I get lost. I bail on things sometimes. Like I'm not the most reliable person, but if you really need me, I will show up for you. Barring some like, (laughs) some uh, very frustrating, like inability to find where I'm going or, you know, like if I get on the wrong train or something like Outside circumstances aside, if you need me, I will be there. I will love you so good. Like, I am a good friend. I do my very best. (laughs) I give good love, but I am flawed. And so I'm telling you up front what my flaws are in the hopes that you will take them and hold them and love me and understand when things arise. that are maybe a little bit frustrating or like maybe a little bit bothersome or irksome or whatever, but that you will hold space for those and like be able to love the totality of me. I'm very honest and vulnerable about those things because they've been issues in the past. And everyone is like, yeah, yeah, I can handle that. And actually, you know, 10 months later, it turns out they couldn't. But but if everyone could do that, Um, if we could show up with all the information and, and trust that we wouldn't be like judged or rejected in a harsh or mean or like scathing way, but instead it'd be like, this is what I'm working with. What do you think? (laughs) And the other person could be like, I can deal with that or I cannot handle that. And we would save so much time and energy, right? Instead of just like torturing each other, trying to change each other and be the person we want them to be instead of just waiting and finding someone who's actually more in line with that person. Um, But I digress slightly. Um, If you are someone who's owning your truth and you're getting shit for it, if you're someone who's speaking up about your pain or the abuse you've been through or your trauma or your systemic oppression and you're getting shit for it, like, please do not internalize that. Please realize that is pure projection, that it is people so much less brave than you trying to make you feel like shit and trying to scare you into being less brave because then they can feel better about themselves because then they can feel so comfortable in their status quo bullshit and baby cakes. That is none of your business. Like let it go. Keep doing you. You're so amazing. I'm so proud of you. (laughs) Like you are strong. You are inspiring. You are a legend. You are like changing the world. You're purging that generational trauma. You are cycle breaking, like legendary shit, like king, queen. What is a gender neutral royalty shit? Like embody that, be emboldened by that. Like know that if nobody is cheering for you, I am. If you have stories about this, send them to me and I will tell you how much you fucking rule because we don't have enough of this. And like, it really makes people so uncomfortable when you shake shit up that they just want you to be quiet and it's not okay. It's not okay, but it's also none of your business. Like 
push it aside and keep doing you because the world needs more of it. We are in dire straits as a species and all of this, like closing our eyes, closing our ears, see no evil bullshit has not gotten us anywhere. Like we are in a mess and we need honesty. We need bravery. We need courage. We need outspokenness and we need people who know how to communicate on a real vulnerable, authentic, and loving level. Like it's loving to share your truth. It's a loving act to receive someone else's truth. It's loving to like speak truth to violence, to oppression. These are the only ways that we can evolve and move forward. And people who have a problem with that, who are threatened by that, who throw a little temper tantrum and make themselves the victim of that truth are petty, immature, underdeveloped, little man, I was going to say, man babies but I don't think I want to gender it because lord knows white people white women have this issue and white queers have this issue a lot but just like you're so in your ego if you can't hold space for someone else's truth that it's like you're not even worth addressing like get some help get a life coach get a therapist read a book do some praying like get in touch with god because I'm not I'm not talking to you like (laughs) If you're not part of the solution, you're part of the fucking problem. Real quick, we're going to go to a little commercial break. I'll be back in a second and take a little breath because I got a little heated. See you in a sec. Bye. Brought to you by the haunted mind of Brit Cannon. A walk-on production. Flight of the Final Girl. A journey through the nightmare of generational trauma and into the sunrise of survival. Run. Don't walk. It's Flight of the Final Girl. Anywhere books are sold. Welcome back. So people will see someone living in their truth, being really brave, being really courageous, and speaking truth to violence, oppression, trauma, abuse, and be like, you have a victim complex. But by nature of like owning your what you've been through, owning your story, you are stepping out of victimization, out of survival mode and into thriving mode. Like you are empowered to be able to talk about it, to be able to address it and to be able to call it what it is. Um, a victim complex, on the other hand, is usually wielded by abusers. So for example... Um, what's going on with the Amber Heard, Johnny Depp trial. Now, I know this is going to make some of y'all mad. Like the Johnny Depp stands out there are so scary that I hesitate to even speak on this, but I'm gonna. (laughs) So this man has a victim complex. He is clearly deep in some substance issues. He, she has videos of him being like, fully blackout, like mixing medications and alcohol and has, you know, has had many complaints on him throughout his career for being an abusive alcoholic, getting violent sometimes, like, and from having grown up with alcoholics, it's very, and addicts in general, or people with severe substance use issues, um, who are usually numbing something, you know, like I have so much empathy as a, as a like mild um, addict myself, mild to moderate, depending on the age we're talking about. Um, I'm sober now and I'm way better for it, way more clear headed. I have done some shitty things when I was drunk or, you know, inebriated in some way or another. Like it makes you a little selfish, it makes you inconsiderate it makes you forget things that happened and you wake up and you want to be like absolved of everything you did when you were drunk because you were drunk you know like and you may not even remember them and this is like the issue with my family and their victim complex is like if if any of us is a reliable narrator 
in this story, it's those of us who have been sober the whole time. Like first off the bat, anyone who's been blackout for the last 10 to 20 to 30 years, um, you know, like I appreciate your story and like, I understand that you're wounded and you're suffering, but like, you don't remember a lot of what I remember. And there's a reason for that. And so that's a thing that happens, you know, and people sometimes have like a Jekyll Hyde sort of vibe about them or way of operating when they are using like, you know, I remember like sometimes I knew the point of tipsy, like that was good to hang out with my mom. Like when she was totally sober, especially if she was hungover in the morning, not a good time to bother her. If she was super duper blackout, not a good time to bother her. You'd wanted to get her like right in the sweet spot, like maybe like eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. Like that was a good time <laughs> to be around her. She was like happy. She was silly. She was funny. She was charming. She was usually in a good mood. But anytime outside of that window, like you were in trouble in some way or another. And, um, and for a child to know that is like kind of sad, you know? And I think that all of us who deal with codependency, especially if you grew up with parents who had substance issues, you're kind of like, like, uh, sort of trained in that. Like, you don't know that that's not normal or that there's like another option that you could be with a partner who's sober. And if you have substance issues yourself, like you tend to kind of, uh, be with people who do as well. But if you're, if you're codependent and you've been in that specific kind of codependent relationship, like, you know, you know, the struggle, you know, how there is, you never know who you're going to get when you deal with the person. Like, you know, sometimes they're going to be like crying hysterically on the phone. You're going to have to talk them off a ledge. Like, you know, that sometimes they're going to be mean and hateful and irritable because they're fiending for a drink or whatever. And like, (laughs) speaking from experience myself too, like my longest term relationship definitely suffered because of my drinking. And that is something that I like feel it's one of my regrets in life. You know, I used to say that I have no regrets, but, (laughs) but at age 34, I can say, you know, without shame that I definitely have some regrets about my behavior in the past. I just didn't know. I just wasn't like a fully functional person yet. Like I just wasn't healed enough. I was so in my pain. And in those situations where I have regrets, I would hope that the other person also regrets some of the responsibility that they shared in the unhealthy situation we created together. But Amber heard like is so clearly someone who has been abused. Like all of the signs are there. All of the the ways that she talks about the trauma, like the way she describes what happened between them, the way she describes his mood swings and his personality and like how he would wake up and apologize for unleashing the monster. It's also like, ugh, you think you're so cool. You know, like you are so... He's just like a classic, like textbook that guy like I have uncles and stepdads <laughs> a plenty who are that guy like just thinks he's so cool thinks he's so poetic he's so he's like an outlaw man um and he's not like the monster like who do you think you are like ugh, I can't but even just like doing something he doesn't fully remember and either denying that it happened and gaslighting the fuck out of her or apologizing the next morning, like being like, I'm not going to do that again, making amends as much as he can, and then doing it again as soon as he's not sober. It's just like classic, but he gets on the stand and he does this like charming little bit because of, of course he's charming. You know what I mean? All narcissists, narcissistic people have that superficial like glibness and sort of charm so his whole testimony was just him like turning on that thing that makes famous people famous you know the Marilyn thing where she could like leave the house and not be noticed at all and be Norma Jean and as soon as she was like okay I'm going to be noticed now she would turn it on and get flooded with paparazzi like that thing that performers have and there is like high narcissism in people who perform um that's why (laughs) that's why the entertainment industry is so dangerous um and you know if you're like someone who 
isn't that way, you really struggle because you're up against these people who don't have a lot of empathy, who don't have a lot of like qualms with stepping on other people, who are very self-centered, feel very entitled. And um, so he turns it on and everyone's like fawning all over him and believing everything, everything he says. And, and it, it just remi- it reminds me of exactly of that um, case over the summer of the, that teenage couple doing van life, Gabby Petito and whatever the, her boyfriend's name was who murdered her. Like in the police videos that were released, um, he was like laughing and joking with the cops and she's like in tears, like hyperventilating, having a panic attack. And like, you would see people talk about how she quote unquote looked crazy and how he was super chill. And so they believed him, even though he was the murderer, like he was abusing her. There was all this evidence around it. And rarely does the person who's being abused look calm and like people think there's this like association with like if you're innocent like if you're telling the truth you're going to be calm you're going to remember every detail but victims often make terrible witnesses because a trauma creates brain damage so you might not remember things also there's dissociation which means your consciousness might be somewhere else other than your body which our brain does to protect us to make sure we can survive the experience which is why in therapy we have to do so much work to integrate like the memories and the feelings behind the experiences because how many of us with trauma are like before we start healing and understanding the extent of what we went through we're like oh yeah I was like sexually assaulted when I was a kid and then like my mom was an abusive alcoholic and my grandma's a total narcissist and like you know everyone I've ever loved has left me I was homeless a couple times but it's no big deal like it's something that happened that doesn't happen anymore and you're like the person you're telling is like, whoa, what? Can you go back? (laughs) And then as you heal, you start realizing like you get off of the script and you're like, okay, I was sexually abused as a child. And that is horrifying. (laughs) And this is how it affects me. And like, these are the ways that I haven't processed it. And then you start going into the feelings and it takes a toll. It's hard work. But that's why you can't process it when it happens. You can only process it after the fact, usually when you're safe. And that's another reason why it's so important to walk away from unsafe situations because it's so hard to heal if you're not safe. You need space. You need compassion. You need honesty. You need authenticity. You need someone who's going to listen to you and believe you. And if you're living in a space that's just like a karmic copy of your childhood and you're reliving those experiences again, your inner child will not feel safe. And it's really, really hard to heal in those circumstances. It's not impossible, but I think it, there does come a point, and this is an expe- like a speaking from experience thing myself, there does come a point where you're like, I can't I can only go so far in this situation and I'm wanting to heal beyond this. And like, so I'm going to have to take space and remove myself in order to, to prog, to, (laughs) to make progress, uh, in my journey. Like I've gone as far as I can go with you. And it's so important to like, to feel that and, and respond appropriately to that and realize that nobody's life is your responsibility. Well, if you have kids, obviously, but you know, you have to take care of yourself. Like your life is your responsibility. Your healing is your responsibility and making choices that support that journey instead of are antagonistic towards that journey. is really, really important. And like choosing safety is, is like, healing level, you know, eight, like it's (laughs) being willing to choose safety, being willing to prioritize like your own peace and stability and comfort and like being loved is it takes a while to even get there. So if you're in the middle of that journey, like no judgment to you, but just, I think that's why like the, the empowerment of knowing you can walk away is so important to me because I really tried to make it work in the muck like a lotus flower but I did end up having to leave it to get here and I'm so glad I did even though it was hard 
And so with Amber Heard, like you're watching a man with a victim complex who takes no responsibility for the choices in his life. Like he's suing her for defamation for writing an article saying she was abused and not naming names. Like he's naming himself by suing her for defamation, even though she didn't name him and she could have. And, you know, she didn't because she wanted to protect him. She wanted to both speak out about her abuse and like find empowerment in that. And also, um, you know, protect him in some way and not like totally out it out the abuser she was speaking about being him. And also I'm sure she probably anticipated this backlash because he is so beloved. He is not Jack Sparrow people. Like (laughs) he's a dude. He's just a fucking dude. Um, a shitty one at that and abuse victims. Like, you know, there's, well, she hit him too. And like all this kind of stuff, they were mutually abusive. Like mutual abuse doesn't, is not a thing. Like there's always an abuser, a perpetuator of harm and a victim, an actual victim. And usually the perpetuator has the victim complex. They cannot see the part they play in it. They cannot see the harm they cause others. They feel entitled to hurt others. They feel entitled to endless forgiveness. They feel entitled to like all this space to act up. They feel like nothing they ever do is that wrong. Like they're just not living on earth. (laughs) They're not living in the same reality as the rest of us. But there are points where people who are being abused will lash out, will get fed up, will not act, like will not be on their best behavior. Uh, There was a psychologist who just was a, you know, like a witness um, or an expert witness or whatever that they have in court cases. And he was saying that like, he never expects to see a perfect victim. Like he never expects to see someone who's on their best behavior because that's not how trauma works. (laughs) You don't stay in your right mind while you're being abused. You're going to get angry. It's like if someone is stepping on your fucking neck, like what are you supposed to do? Just lay there and be like, okay, I get it. This is like why it's so fucking bullshit that police have these like get out of murder free cards because you, when, especially as like a black man who are the main targets of police, the main like unjustly murdered, like there's a literal attempted genocide happening at the hands of police on black men but not just black men, like black women and people of color. And then bottom of the list is like poor white people, you know, like (laughs) marginalized people, like the police are the weapon of the ruling class. But of course there's like a hierarchy of safety and the closer proximity you have to whiteness, the safer you are. So black men are seen as like inherently threatening because we haven't unpacked the programming of like the post like the post liberation of enslaved people rhetoric and like the fear surround I think this is like white people being really scared of like consequences as you know answering to the harm we've caused white people have a fucking victim complex is what I'm getting at and so to expect a human being like having a gun pointed at them to behave perfectly you know to not run to not get angry to not fight back to just take it and and police are incredibly dehumanizing you know they'll like say all kinds of fucked up shit they're not helpful they're not kind they're not professional they're so violent they're so like cowardly that they just shoot first ask questions later and then there's no consequences for it like police have a victim complex like they'll say like oh he moved and I got scared motherfucker you're holding a gun like what (laughs) you don't know how to diffuse a situation or like handle someone without shooting them first but then you see videos of like them um what's the word, like apprehending someone who literally just shot up a public place and killed a bunch of innocent people. And they're so gentle with them. They like laugh with them, joke with them if they're white. 
It's totally absurd. And these are the shifting, like, this is how someone with power uses a victim complex to wield power on someone and actually victimize them. Another example of this is, like, white women towards black men, especially, like, young black boys. Like, the legacy of Emmett Till has never really been addressed or healed on, like, a like a societal scale because it still happens today. You know, these are the Karens of the world, like calling the cops on a black person, expecting them to show up and just like take your side, even though you're the one who's being insane and violent and disruptive and, and really just like throwing a toddler tantrum because you aren't getting your way. Like we see all these videos all the time on TikTok and stuff. And, and usually the cops do side with the white women. And this is a victim complex. Like, <laughs> you are the oppressor in this situation. You are the bad guy, but you can't see that because you're so used to everyone babying you and feeling sorry for you and just, like, yesing you to death. And that's not to say that, like, white women haven't been victimized by white men and by patriarchy because they have, but, like, know your privilege. Like, really know where you are on the hierarchy. And instead of oppressing the people underneath you or people who are alongside you, um, you know, instead of being that person who joins up with the bullies, even though they don't fucking like you either, <laughs> pick the other side, you know, be the, be in your integrity, like do the right thing, join the fight against the powers that be, side on the person with no friends, you know, not that, you know what I'm getting at, like you're always going to regret joining up with the bullies to bully a kid who is suffering, you know, like that's never going to make you feel good. If you're in tune with your truth, if you're in tune with your empathy, like that's the kind of thing that when you're 42 years old, you're going to be cringing over, even though it happened when you were seven, like (laughs) ask people, if you have a conversation with people about like, what's your biggest regret, it's always something like that. If they're a decent person and they haven't done a shit ton of harm in their life. It's always something like that. It's just making the wrong choice, like choosing to align with power instead of aligning against it. And I understand why people do it. It's like, because you think it makes you safer, but it fucking doesn't. Like the patriarchy is never going to pick a woman. Uh, White supremacy is never going to pick a person of color. Like being a pick me is embarrassing. (laughs) Don't, do it. It's never going to keep you safe. It's never going to keep you safe. They're always going to turn on you because they don't fucking care about you. They don't see your humanity. They don't love you. They're never going to love you. Let it go. Be on the right team, you know? Um, so in the case of Dave Chappelle or, you know, like look at John Mulaney, like there's this thing that just happened. If you don't know, um, where this just happened, like, last night or a couple days ago as I'm recording this, but it'll be like a week ago when this comes out. John Mulaney, who's like, first of all, anytime I've known like a tall, skinny white guy who's like really awkward and has the, the like constitution of a shaky chihuahua, like they're always the worst person I've ever met in my life. Like hands down, always the worst. They're the most like sleeper, emotionally manipulative people on the planet. They're just like not nice. And the more they tout like I'm a male feminist or whatever, the worse they are. Um, so I haven't liked him for a long time because of the way that he left his wife. Uh, and I just, you know, I think some of his like screenshots of his comedy specials are funny or whatever, but like, I just got a vibe. He's not a good dude. And so he, he, his main audience is like, queer people, like Tumblr queers, you know, like they're the ones that sort of put him on and like, they love his awkward style and like, they really relate to his, you know, social struggles and stuff. And so in an audience where there's probably going to be queer people and trans people and like gender nonconforming people, he brings on a surprise guest who happens to be Dave Chappelle, who does a racist and transphobic set. And And that's because he feels empowered in his victimization. Like, he feels like, oh, cancel culture, these hordes of, like, 
teens on TikTok are like rallying against me. Like I'm such a victim. I'm so like edgy and people are trying to silence me and like I'm a renegade. And it's like, you're upholding a power institution. Like (laughs) you're upholding the cis-heteropatriarchy and you think that you're like punk, you know? It's like, get a fucking grip, dude. You have a victim complex. And I understand that there was probably a lot of trauma that he went through in dealing with like the white supremacist regime of Hollywood when he was coming up. But instead of that empowering him to like stand up for others, it made him a monster. And this is the victim complex that I'm talking about. Like it's when the shit, this is the same thing. I know I bring this up every episode, but I cannot get over it. Like (laughs) the people who paid off their student loans and then are like, no, do not do away with student loans. Like don't cancel them because I paid mine and I need everyone else to suffer the way that I have suffered. It's like, are you serious? Like this doesn't affect you. Sorry you paid yours back, but are you kidding me? (laughs) Like what monsters? And same goes for people who like attack people, you know, who are attacking Amber Heard, who are like making these like this mockery of her pain when she's so brave and speaking out against someone who's so beloved and you can see the pain like you can see how much she's been hurt and is hurting and she was a kid I mean not like a literal kid but she was so young and he's so old and he's such a famous actor and she was just starting out and like look at the power imbalance like anyone who's been a younger person in love with someone much older who wasn't kind or didn't treat them well it's really a mind fuck because your, you know, your daddy, your mommy issues are all tied up in the person and like, (laughs) and there's a security you're seeking out in them. And like for them to turn that into a way to torture you emotionally is just like super fucked. And it's really hard to untangle yourself from that situation. Besides the fact that she wanted to help him and she wanted to help get him sober. And she believed that it was just the substances that were making him into this monster. And maybe that is part of the problem, but she failed because you you can't do that for someone else. And like every codependent person has to learn that eventually. But we, you know, when I went through that, I didn't have this massive smear campaign going on against me. I didn't have like people on Twitter and and TikTok and Instagram and Facebook like sending me death threats. You know, I can't imagine what she's going through right now. And if you need to know like who's the actual victim and who has the victim complex, it's just like look at their behavior, you know, look at who they are in the world. Um, I've known so many like, and I do not use this word lightly, like so many sneaky bullies, you know, like people who are so mean, who are so profoundly ungenerous, who are so critical and, and like entitled. And like, I had this friend who like would get her parents to send her like $1,200 here, $700 here. Like she would just call them crying and they would send her like any amount of money she wanted. And eventually they cut her off because she kept not showing up to like important things. She was being such a brat. And when that happened, she like rewrote this whole narrative about why they did that and how, how unkind they were and unsupportive they were. And like, and this happens to her over and over again. Like this is a cycle that this person in particular keeps playing out where like she mistreats everyone in her vicinity and abuses everyone and is like super critical and she'll like love you and love you and love you until a point when she decides to be jealous of you and then it all turns and and she just expects people to like endlessly put up with her and then then you walk away and then you're the bad guy right (laughs) I've known so many people like this I could do a whole episode just on the stories and it's always really shocking to me and I'm gonna get into this uh this in another episode where like sometimes you have to just like have people think you're the bad guy. Like you can't convince people when someone's running a smear campaign on you, like defending yourself is, doesn't do anything. Like it just makes you frustrated. And the more you try to defend yourself, the more you kind of dig your heels in, the less people really like want to deal with you for some reason. It's that thing. It's that thing where like, 
you know, if you're upset and you're emotional and you're triggered and you're like grasping out for help, people are like, oh, I believe the person who's calm in this situation. And it's like, no, (laughs) the person who's calm, cool and collected, the person who is doing all the shit talking, like the person who does this over and over and over again to everyone who who makes the mistake of loving them is like, that's the victim. Like the, or that's the person with the victim complex. Like that's the actual perpetrator. And if you find yourself dealing with these kinds of people and you're so confused because every harm they cause you gets turned around to be your fault because they gaslight, because they control, because they're like the puppet master in their life. Um, watch out for people who operate from a place of guilt, you know, watch out for people who cannot take responsibility, who everything wrong in their life has to be someone else's fault. And I'm not saying people, again, this is not speaking about people who own their trauma, who are like, I am this way, you know, I had these struggles. I have CPTSD because my parents abused me. That's not the same thing. You know, you are a victim. If your parents abused you, you are a victim. You were a victim in that situation, in that story. And it's okay to speak truth to that. It's okay to own that. And in fact, it's really brave to do so because people don't know what to do with that information. And you're going to come up with or come up against resistance when you share your truth in that way. It makes people really uncomfortable. If they haven't owned their shit, they don't want you to own yours because it reminds me of the masks in COVID or like, you know, you have like differing realities right now where some people are like, I just want to go back to normal. I want to live my life. I want to go on vacations. I want to go out to bars and not wear a mask. I want to play shows again. And then you have people who are like, I want to be safe. And, and COVID is still here and still happening. And the people, instead of the people who are like back to normal, um, just doing them and being like, I'm doing me, you do you, <laughs> which is bad enough. Cause like, please, please acknowledge that it's still happening. Please act accordingly. But it's bad enough that they're just like, balls to the wall, you know, back to normal, but that's not enough for them. They also need everyone else to stop being safe, to stop believing the science, to stop, you know, doing what actually needs to be done and living in reality. They want you to stop doing that too, because it reminds them that things aren't normal. And that is worse to them than what they're doing. That's a victim complex. You see what I'm getting at? I hope this makes sense. I hope you followed along. I hope I didn't hurt anyone's feelings. It's so touchy to talk about things like that, and I do get nervous. But just watching the news unfold is, um, I just keep thinking about it because I just keep seeing this dynamic over and over again where nobody holds space or only other victims, like only other survivors hold space for survivors' stories. And the perpetrators have this victim complex, this victim narrative, this like lack of responsibility and accountability, and people gravitate towards that. And it's driving me out of my mind with rage <laughs> at the injustice of it. So as you go for your, through your life, through this week, just please like speak your truth, speak it left and right, let your truth hang out, you know? <laughs> Your truth is sacred. There is nothing wrong with your truth. You do not need to feel ashamed about speaking it and holding space for it. And and thank you, you know, blessed being, <laughs> beautiful, walking, breathing angel on this earth if you can hold space for other people's truths. Align with the victims. Align with actual survivors. You know, stand up for them. Stand up for the marginalized. Don't just acquaint yourself or situate yourself next to power and think that's good enough because it's not individual gain and success. I'm doing sarcastic bunny ears and, um, accumulation and like consumption is not the same thing as progress. A woman CEO girl boss is not what we're getting at. What we need is a restructuring of society. What we need is sustainability. What we need is equitable, uh, programs and like ways of being that support humans. We need everyone to have their needs met. Like Kim Kardashian is not my icon. (laughs) Let's like, let's 
get ourselves on the right team. And let's just like understand that when someone reacts to us in that way, that that is their problem and just let it go. Keep speaking your truth. Keep being brave. Keep doing your healing. I'm so proud of you. We are stronger together. Don't forget that. The Walk On Podcast is a production of Walk On Productions. It is written, recorded, hosted, produced, and marketed by yours truly. (laughs) That's right, folks. It's a one-person dog and pony show. If you'd like to help keep us afloat, you can donate on our anchor.fm page. That's anchor.fm backslash Brit dash Cannon. You can also go to my website, BritCannon.me, to access lots of other things like the blog that goes along with this podcast, my two YouTube channels, the Walk On Podcast YouTube channel, and my personal YouTube channel that features my poetry and music. You can access the album Shiny Silver Snakes that I made with my good friend Lokomoko. You can find mantra the ep that walk on the theme song to this podcast is part of and you can find flight of the final girl which is my debut poetry collection there's also merch t-shirts stickers mugs lots of other stuff with the swears on them (laughs) there are photos videos and links to all of the services i offer including tarot readings astrology readings mentorship services if you'd like some one-on-one consultations outside of the realm of tarot and astrology and you can also access my self-love course which is a 30-day journal-centered self-love course that is designed to help you build a deeper friendship and more loving relationship with yourself there are journal prompts guided meditations self-care rituals letter writing assignments and a whole lot more Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for doing the work. Happy healing. Until next time. Bye.